Wow. Yeah, the only thing missing uh, was your voices behind me, uh, but I could, I could close my eyes and hear them. It's good to be here. Kurt and band, I just, you, you guys, if you, I think you probably know this, but we are so blessed uh, to, uh, to have them. And uh, we get to go into a series on the book of Judges, and uh, that, last, that last line that we just sang, you're the one who never leaves the one behind. That, uh, I was asking Pastor Doug about why, because he, he suggested, he's like, I'm feeling like we're supposed to do the book of Judges. And I asked him, I said, tell me why. And he said this, over and over again, regardless of how dark it seemed to get, God kept pursuing and rescuing and loving and providing for his people. That is the message of hope in this book. He is the one who never left the one behind. And so God will continue to offer in this series more chances for us. It's the first time in a long time for me preaching to a, uh, well, I never would have done where, like, I've always known you were there, but never thought that, that most of you were, were, were out there. Um, it reminds me, I, I preached way back. I, I, I don't think I'd even graduated from seminary. And uh, it was, we still had evening service. And it was Super Bowl Sunday. And because I was the young guy, I got, to, uh, I got the, the, the high honor of preaching Super Bowl Sunday. And it was uh, 5.58, and it was my mom and dad, and Pastor Dan and Carol, and some of the band, and a sound guy. And, uh, but I think like six or seven more people came. We, that's more than are here, well, with the sound guys and everything, maybe about the same amount of people. But it is a blessing always to preach the Word of God. We are going to look at Judges. It's a message of hope, but there's also a warning. I'm going to give away the end of the book uh, of Judges. A spoiler alert. The book ends with this refrain. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. People don't always follow God the way that they say they're going to, the way they promise they're going to. Right before Judges, uh, Moses had led the people out of Egypt, and Joshua had led the people to the promised land and into the promised land. And God had given specific instructions to Moses. Here's what he said in, in Numbers 33. He said these things. He said, drive out all the inhabitants from the land. Drive them all out. He said, destroy their images and their idols. Destroy them all. And he said, tear down their altars. If you don't, it will not go well for you. And so we get to Judges 1. And I'm just going to give you a little summary of, of, of Judges 1, the, the first chapter. Uh, they had to pick who's going to go in first. Well, Judah. Judah goes in first. And here's how the story goes. The Lord was with the men of Judah. They took possession of the hill country. But, and that is a scary word in the Bible, sometimes, but... They were unable to drive the people from the plains because they had chariots fitted with iron. They didn't do the hard thing. They did not do what God told them to do. That chapter goes on. The Benjamites, however, did not drive out the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. To this day, the Jebusites live there with the Benjamites, which doesn't sound like such a bad thing. They thought oh, the, the Jebusites, they're not so bad. It's not a big deal. We're, we'll rule over them. We'll push them a lot. We'll, we'll tell them what to do. But they did not drive them out. And that was not what God told them to do. 
They thought to themselves, if we destroy the people who live there, they, we won't get to take advantage of their economy. Leaving them alive was financially beneficial to them, but that was not what God told them to do. Chapter 1 goes on and on. Joseph, Manasseh, Ephraim, Zebulun, Asher, and down the list of the tribes. And this refrain, they did not drive them out. They didn't do what God had clearly told them to do. And they had a list of excuses, but they didn't obey. One commentary I read said this, this earnest admonition given to the Israelites in their peculiar circumstances conveys a salutary lesson to us to allow no lurking habits of sin to remain in us. That spiritual enemy must be eradicated. And that is a word that talks about work. It must be eradicated from our nature. Otherwise, it will be ruinous to our present peace and our future salvation. And we have seen in our world what happens when we don't do what God tells us to do. If we do not drive sin out, sin will drive us out. If we don't put to death our lusts, Lust will be the death of our souls. And so I want to ask you today, what is it that you need to drive out of your life? Think about that, please. This time of COVID-19, of staying at home, has been a time for me where I've thought a lot about what are the things in my life that I need to drive out. We're going to talk about that. Judges 2. Let's hear these words from the book we love. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I brought you up out of Egypt. I led you into the land I swore to give you to your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down their altars. God says, that's what I said to you. Yet you have disobeyed me. I can hear the, the sadness in God's voice as he says, you, you've disobeyed me. Why have you done this? I also said, I will not now drive them out before you. They will become traps for you, and their gods will become snares to you. When the angel of the Lord had spoken these things to all the Israelites, the people wept aloud. They remembered, and they called that place Bochim, which means weeping. And there they offered sacrifices to the Lord. They said, okay, God, we'll, we forgot, we're sorry. They wept, but not for long, sadly. They didn't really change. They didn't do the work necessary. Then it says Joshua died and went to his ancestors. We're going to skip ahead to verse 10 here. After the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they served the Baals, they forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and they, they served Baal and Ashtoreth. In his anger against them, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn, and they were in great distress. And then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to the judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshiped them. They quickly turned from the way, 
the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. And whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with them. And the judge saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors. Following other gods and serving and worshiping them, they refused to give up their evil practices and their stubborn ways. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, because this nation has violated the covenant I ordained for their ancestors and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and to see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. The Lord had allowed those nations to remain. He did not drive them out and at once by, and, uh, by not driving them out at once by giving them into the hands of Joshua. God had given simple instructions and they did not listen. They did not drive out their enemies. And then their enemies, as God knew what happened, shared their altars with them. They taught them their new practices. Uh, the altars that they were supposed to tear down, they started worshiping at. This began what is called the cycle of apostasy in the book of Judges. The people of God sin. God punishes them. They cry out. He delivers them, but then quickly the people fall back into sin. Rinse and repeat. It's a, it's a, it's a cycle. I want to ask today, is that our life? Do we only cry out to God when things get bad? Do we forget? Do we go our own way? You see, God tells us clearly how we're supposed to live. He has told us things. We just got through the book of James and lots of instructions about how we should live, the things that we should do and say, how we show our faith. But we like to do our own thing. Maybe for a while we comply. Sometimes I hear a message and I think that's really powerful. By Wednesday, I can't remember what it was. We comply a little, but we do not surrender in total. And then when things go bad, we call out to God. So what I'm asking today, are we worshiping the idols of our age? Have the idols of this world become like God said they would, barbs in your eyes and thorns in your side? 1 John 2, 15 says this, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Don't forget that last promise. Whoever does the will of the Lord lives forever. God says, live, live this way, and we say, no, I'm going to go my way. I'm going my way. And when I talk about I, I'm talking about I. I do this. I have my own cycle of apostasy. I preached a while back on Ephesians 4. Maybe you remember. I remember that passage says, be completely humble, be gentle, be patient, and bear with one another in love. And God wrecked me, and I, I cried out, and I wept, and I said, I don't want to be that person. And I went and talked with a counselor, uh, and he's helped me to see what's going on in my heart and given me some reading and some work to do, and it has been a great thing, and I've been in God's word, and I've made progress. But... Sometimes when the going gets rough, I forget. 
Memorial Weekend. I, we have a boat uh, as a family. Uh, uh, boating, we love it, and it also is stressful. I put a lot of pressure on me. I expect, I tell myself that it's my job to, to take care of everyone, to keep everybody safe, to make sure that it's fun, all those kind of things. I feel responsible. Nobody tells me that. And with my counselor, we talk about it. And it's like, it's, it's not, I'm not responsible. I mean, I'm responsible and I do good things, but all the pressure does not rely on me. That stress, that anxiety. And on Memorial Weekend, again, boom, my gentleness that I've worked on, it, it went out the window. It was the cycle of my apostasy. I'd realized I'd forgotten my good habits. I realized in that moment afterwards, like, oh, I didn't want to be where I just was. I hadn't been doing some of the things, walking, talking, knowing, loving God. When this stay at home started, I started some really good new habits. I, I don't know if you have, but uh, I have slowed my pace. We sit at home and are just together at night. It's this, it's wonderful. It's not always wonderful because we're a family, but it's wonderful. I've been walking with my wife and we talk and that's, that's a great addition. Um, I walk with God and I listen to him and I put on good music and all those kind of things. And I ask God, remind me where my value comes from. Remind me that I'm a child of God, dearly loved. And, and those habits have been so good for me. But how easily for, we forget. And as soon as I stop remembering those habits, when I look back from Memorial Week and the week before that, I just hadn't been doing those things. And I reverted quickly back to my ways, to the things that come naturally to me. I did what was right in my own eyes. As Trent reminded us several times through the book of James, don't do what comes naturally. That's a problem for us. In this passage, God says, why did you do this? Why have you done this? Why did you not do what I asked you to do? And in their case, I wonder, you know, there were chariots of iron. Were they just too lazy to fight those chariots? Were they cowardly? Did, they, did their fear take over? God told them, I will drive them out. If you trust in me, I will drive them out. But they did not. And they turned to idols. Verse 19 says, they refused to give up their evil practices and their stubborn ways. What are your stubborn ways? One commentary I read said this this week. They, I love this sentence. They had not the dread and detestation of idolatry, which they ought to have had. Are you afraid of idolatry? I'm, I don't think we are, are afraid enough of things that can become idols in our life. Do you detest anything in your life that pulls you away from God? I think we need to. What are your stubborn ways? What are your evil practices? What are the chariots of iron in your life? Where are their altars? Do you bow down to busyness? Boy, we have as a culture. I've seen it. Do you bow down to chasing the accomplishments of your kids? Do you bow down to trying to be enough for someone else? Or for the world? Is this an idol for you? It's my phone. Um, I've found that it's an idol for me, that I have it with me too much, and I rely on it. Now, I, uh, Facebook is another place. I, I, I quit it again. I just took it off my phone. I realized 
the additional connection with people is not worth what I see as just some really, really unhealthy practices. For me, sports, well, we've talked about it, I have not missed. You know, once in a while on a summer night, a baseball game is good, but the way that sports was the, in some ways the centerpiece of my life, I don't miss it. And in some ways, I don't want to go, I, don't, I hope it doesn't come back. Now, I know for those of you who love it, it's okay, but we got to be careful. God says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Don't serve culture. Don't serve expectations. Don't serve creating a picture of your family on Facebook that others will think is enough. Look, we all know that we're all a mess. We don't, do we really believe that the picture that we share with people, yeah, we got cute kids and there's awesome stuff and we stay connected, but... So much of it is trying to create feeling okay about myself. We can't serve success, at least not under the definition of this world. And so I want to ask you today, what are the things that you need to drive out of your land? Bitter envy, selfish ambition, your political opinions. That is dividing our nation. Racism, we've seen that. I'm guilty. Are you guilty? Privilege. Have you wrestled with that? Where are the things that you need to drive out of your life? Don't allow those things to remain. Tear them down. When COVID-19, when we go back to normal, we can't go back to normal. I read this this week. The lesson is clear. When the standards for right and wrong good and bad, true and false, righteous and evil, love and hate, when those are built on everyone doing what is right in their own eyes, massive and widespread dysfunction will result. And we see that all around us. This is not the way mankind was designed to live by God. The solution is the establishment of higher levels of order and government in our world. We need, we need a higher level of order in our world, and that is not a, a new candidate or party. It is we need God to be the one who orders our lives. Our individual will cannot be the lone governing standard for life. This biblical reality stands in stark contrast to our age of democracy, individual freedoms and rights, and self-centered consumerism. Some of the things that we say uh, America is all about, some of those come in contact with the things that God says his kingdom is about, and we better bow to God's kingdom instead of those things. Now, you know, I think our government is the best version of government in the world, but it's clearly broken, and it is clearly in opposition to things from the kingdom of God. My friend St. Gregory of Zealand uh, wrote some devotions uh, on Wednesday. Now, some of it he, he took, I did not give credit in the first service, but some of this he took from John Stone Street. Uh, but he wrote this this week, and I'm going to just, I want to read it to you because I think this encapsulates what is going on in our world. He wrote this. I think John wrote this. In some ways, this was a perfect storm. A nation dealing with now some 100,000 deaths and severe economic impact, as well as the heightened issues of what many experts predict will bring a tsunami of mental illness. The reality is neither politics alone, much less increased state force alone, can calm this perfect storm of a long history of racial grievance. A slow-moving and often faulty justice system, misguided social justice warriors and extremist agitators and opportunists, all churning together within a nation on edge from months of social isolation. It's a mess out there. 
We might ask God, why have you done this? Why is this happening? What should we do? It continued, another hard truth to face is that no political solution can overcome our collective loss of virtue. We just don't do what's right. It's either the conscience or the, or the officer and the cracks in our social fabric cannot ultimately be held together by more creative public policies or strongman-type leadership and certainly not by unwise tweets. The stark reality is that the human condition is namely sinful. We do what's right in our own eyes. We do what we think is best for us. And then if we don't like what somebody else says, we can justify ourselves pretty well. The reality is there's no ideological system that can prevent or fully deal with the problems that will arise, like these epidemics or police brutality, because the world is a mess, and so are we. So what should we do? It's pretty simple. I'll wrap it up quickly for you. We got to do what God told us to do. He made it pretty clear for us. Only the kingdom of God, empowered by the spirit of God, can lead us to the life that we truly desire, the life that is truly life. J.B. Shrev said this, the next time we're provoked, the next time we're disheartened, the next time we're enticed, the next time we're enlightened, we would do well to recall the standards of God. The people living under the standards of the kingdom of God do not place priority upon their own rights or interests. Their priority is upon finding and doing the will of God. Such a people were not designed to live as everyone doing what is right in their own eyes. You see, people, we are a different kind of people, and we need to live like Jesus taught us. I'm reading a book called Renovated by a man named Jim Wilder, along with he's got some stuff in there from Dallas Willard. And he asks this question, what do we and our people do when it gets like this. And I think we need to think about that. What do Christians do when things get like this? What do followers of Jesus do when it gets like this? What does Community Reformed Church do when it gets like this? And as Doug said, we see a lot of the good things that we do. But I can tell you, I've seen some other things, folks that I know go here, the things that they've posted, the way that they react. We do what's right in our own eyes. And as Christians, we have to say, I want to say, don't post or tweet or speak before you think and maybe pause and think again. We need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Here's what I think we need to do. We need to remember who we are and whose we are. Before we say or do anything, let that be the thing that reminds you, who am I? Whose am I? We also need to remember our core values. Here at Community, we have core values. I'm going to focus on three of them. Less self. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. Say that over and over again. Transformation. God wants to change me. He wants to change you. How does that happen? And then empowerment. God wants to use you to bring light to this world. We need to remember this. What's your only comfort in life and in death? I am not my own, says the Heidelberg Catechism, question one. It's old, it's ancient, 1563, but it's true. I am not my own, but I belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood, and he has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. 
And he watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, everything works together for my salvation. Everything, even all of this, works together for our salvation. And because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life. And he makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Those are powerful words that we need to remember. You belong to Jesus. You do not belong to yourself. We need to remember Psalm 23. You need to follow your shepherd. He'll take you to green pastures. He'll take you to quiet waters. And he will take you to paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Not yours. And we need to listen. I love this passage from Isaiah. Isaiah 30, verse 20. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes, you will see them. And whether you turn to the right or the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. We need to have our ears hear his voice. And I know there's, I'll say this to me and maybe to you, one of the best ways that we can hear is to close our mouths. Listen to that voice. And then finally, create some habits. I've created some different habits in my life, and I like who I am when I am involved in those habits. Psalm 1 says, blessed is the one, blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, prosper. That's a promise. When you plant yourself, create habits that will get you closer to God. So how do we start? One last thing. We have to ask God to give us a clean heart. We have to confess how have I been complicit in this culture? What have I been doing that has brought pain into the world? Book of Judges says God will always pursue you. He always will make a way for you. But you have to turn to him and say, give me a clean heart. When things got as bad as they could get for the King David, in Psalm 51, he said these words, create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. God, give me a clean heart. There's a song by Matt Marr that the band's gonna end with. And it, the second verse says, give us a vision, your eyes of compassion. In all this division, may we be known by our love. There's a way that seems right to us and that leads to death. So don't do what comes naturally. Ask God to give you a clean heart. Ask God, what do we and our people do when things get like this? And listen for the answer. Let's pray. God, just simply we ask, give us a clean heart. Restore to us the joy of your salvation. Lord, we pray for our world. It is broken, but if we as Christians will humble ourselves, seek your faith, 
you will heal our land. You promise us good things. Life everlasting. The life that is truly life. But we have to, we have to follow you. So teach us how to do that. Give us a clean heart. Amen.